one day I'm going to fall over on camera <laughs> and it will be horrifically embarrassing. I did it last time. Where I What's back there that you, that, that you tripped over? Well, it's the rowing machine. So I've dropped oh. the... I've dropped the thing. I've taken the pin out, dropped the the rowing bit, the bit you sit on. Yeah. But the problem is, if I stand back, I now fall over it. Oh no! So that's gotta go. When's the last time you actually used it? Never. <laughs> that's when you don't ask that question, though. There's a there's also an exercise bike here that also is never used. Yeah, that's the thing um, with these machines, man. Hey, and welcome to the Standard Notes podcast. My name is Adam, and just like you, I am a member of the Standard Notes community. Standard Notes is the end-to-end encrypted note-taking app that keeps all of your stuff safe. Mo, the founder, is here, and we're chatting about the world of encryption, privacy, and digital security. Now, on the 4th of October 2006, a website that in many ways has changed the world was launched. It got people all over the world discussing secrets, and it has catapulted several people to particular notoriety. There have been Hollywood movies, undoubtedly billions of words written about it, and a lot of congressional hearings too. I'm talking about WikiLeaks, the whistleblowing website that shared everything from leaked emails to videos of conflict. And as somebody who's very interested in journalism and justice as a teenager, I was very interested in WikiLeaks. WikiLeaks probably started me on a path that led me to being here, to using standard notes, to hosting this podcast today. And so... We'll come to WikiLeaks journalism and whistleblowing in a bit, but with that, Mo, I'm interested. What got you interested in this space, in the space that you now work in? It's an interesting question. Um, even more interesting question is whether a billion words have been written about WikiLeaks. Just like as a, as a thought experiment, like, what is a billion words? I, I, I wonder if if you're actually right there. That's, that's a lot of words. Um, but what got me into privacy? That's a good question. I mean, it, it's it's hard to say whether it's one thing. In some sense, I've I've always just been private. Um, when you start to have divergent ideas from your family, from your friends that you grew up with, you start needing to shelter those ideas and uh, refraining from sharing some ideas. Even today, I mean, just on the internet. Some people have very divergent ideas and they'll share them because they're reckless uh, or, or, or for better or for worse, they're, they're, they like taking risks. Uh, for me, I, I like to protect my peace of mind and not be bothered like by, um, I don't know, uh, I'm very uh, prone to just wanting to have calm waters in my mind and the best way to do that is to um on a large enough scale is to keep your thoughts private otherwise you'll pick a fight with people on the internet now with with friends and family today obviously you you, you eventually get to the point where you find the friends and ideally yeah, you find the friends and, and close family where you don't have to shelter your thoughts anymore. And, and, and luckily, that's that's where I am today. But with, with the broader internet, 
Um, I do keep a blog where I speak somewhat openly, but I also try to... The master of this was Emerson, who uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, where I started reading him in my 20s. And, and the first time I read it, I was like, what is this guy saying? I have no idea what he's saying. Like, what is it cryptic? Is it... He, and so, yeah, first time I read it, it made completely, utter, utterly no sense to me. A um, few months pass, I read it again. I'm like, okay. I picked up the meaning of a few of the things he was trying to say. I didn't want to give up because it, it felt like he was trying to say something important. Fourth time, fifth time. I finally got to the point where I understood the reason why he wrote the way he wrote was because he's saying really... Um, ideas which even today would be controversial and so to, to think of saying those things in the 1800s late 1800s um you have to disguise your thoughts a little bit and put them behind not even metaphors just like indirectness and you only start to get it i mean this is an aside but you only start to get emerson once you live the life that he's talking about and you start to say oh i see what he's talking about now so i i try i learned a, a thing or two from that in that you, if you're trying to say something super controversial, um, just make it a little bit hard to understand. Um, not hard to understand, but easy for the people that you're speaking to to understand. But if they don't know what you're talking about, they won't understand it. So that's a f sort of form of privacy right there uh, with regards to writing. Uh, because, yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, you know, what is the fear? What is the risk? The risk, obviously, is that the internet is a big place and you might upset someone. Um, usually it doesn't tr translate to the real world and everyone stays in their respective, uh, geographical vicinities, but you need, you just never know. Um, so to me, that's probably, if I were to trace it down, that's where privacy came from was the need to, um, to have the peace of mind of having radical thoughts, radical is a radical word, but to have, um, divergent thoughts for, for, for whatever category and the the place to expound on those thoughts whether in writing well typically in writing that's sort of the mapping from from thought to uh from brain to computer is, is a keyboard um and so to be able to have those thoughts expound on them safely you need privacy and and that's really where it came from is that you're using some plain text note taking up like Evernote, okay, safe enough. Uh, initially, you're writing recipes, you're writing, I don't know, budgets, things like that. And then you start having, um, I don't know, I don't know where these, uh, for me at least, I, I've had like, they're not even evolutions of thoughts, they're revolutions of thought where you're like, it just snaps into you. It's like, oh my God. Everything I've been told as a kid is a lie, and everything that they tell me today is a lie. You know these kind of thoughts, and it, yeah, it's not even. You would think it's like stepwise, but it just kind of happens sometimes overnight. You read like a sentence in a book, and it just catches you off guard. And the sentence doesn't even spell it out. It's just like the sentence snaps something in your brain, and uh, you're like, "Well, okay." So you start writing it, and never know. You're like, eh, "I don't really feel comfortable," and it's not even a bad thought. Like, you know, how do you? quantify good and bad, but it's not a thought that's dangerous to anyone. It's just a thought that might disagree with the prevailing trends. And you're like, well, if this got out, um, my boss who has different political opinions might fire me or something like that. Um, or it might prevent me from getting a job um, if some future employer disagrees with my political takes today or something like that. 
and you start to think, okay, I need to be smart here. I need to be a little bit wiser with how I use a computer how and how I connect to the internet. And um, that's where a lot of people are today. It, it's just smart. Um, if you're if you're somewhat smart and savvy, you understand that you need to protect your career. You need to protect your future. So yeah, most people would be career bound rather than entrepreneurial. And if you're career bound, you have to play it. Unfortunately, you have to play it safe. It's not always fun to do so because you want to speak your mind. Um, and yeah, you need to you need to look out for your privacy. You need to. Um, I mean, I'm torn because on the one hand, it's like, just say whatever you want. You know, this life is too short to uh, play by someone else's rules. But on the other hand, yeah, look, we live in a society. Society has rules. Um, you, If you don't want to follow the rules, you can go outside of society, but you'll just come crawling back in because society has benefits. But yeah, one of society's main principles is conformity. You have to conform in order to fit in. Um, you have to follow the rules. And privacy encryption allows you to have this sort of safe island where you are safe from society's prying eyes and allows you to have a, a little streak of nonconformity where you can explore the adventures of your mind. Your mind likes to go on adventures. Don't stop it. You know, let it be. Um, like society would have you um, curtail those sort of adventures because it's too risky, which again, Society has rules, and, and that's the very definition of a society is rules to, to keep people sort of co coherent. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, this is the impetus for privacy for me, is the ability to be myself, um, the ability to think thoughts that aren't the same as everyone else. Um, look, if you're thinking all the same thoughts that have already been thought, you don't need privacy. You don't need standard notes. <laughs> Just go, you, well, you know, you, can, you need standard notes for all the other things, not privacy related, like actually like a good note taking app. But um, once you start having important thoughts, once you start really thinking, um, you know, you want to protect those thoughts out of principle, if anything, I mean, um, out of principle of anything, but also there are, there are tangible risks. Um, and yeah, if you are publishing a, a public blog, there are ways to privacy there where um, you can say things in a way that, which really is not a good strategy if you're looking to sort of uh, flame the fire a little bit. Flame the fire is a great marketing strategy, honestly, for publicity. Everyone does it. Everyone does it except me. I I cannot flame the fire. I can't be controversial. I don't want to be. I... Um, it's what makes me such a horrible marketer is that I, I just want peace. That's all I want. Um, some people wake up and choose violence, not me. I, I want the waters to be as still as possible. So that, that's the, the long story to, to sort of how we got here. When I think of, um, when I think of myself kind of a bit younger, uh, as a teenager, um, at school, I was never, I was never like the sporty kids. I was never, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I was sort of a nerd or a geek either. I was very much sort of middle rung kind of child, uh, but very interested in, in technology. And, 
you know, 2006 in the UK, I would have been in year six, um, which is kind of just leaving, just leaving primary school. So I was turning kind of 11, 12 years old. Uh, and all of these kind of people were, were coming out, you know, Julian Assange, uh, Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, these sort of modern day uh, whistleblowers, kind of very rebellious people. And I sort of saw a bit of myself in that. I thought, I thought they were kind of cool. Um, you know, here are these nerds, sort of unconventional people uh, doing jobs that I thought were, were kind of awesome, you know, working in, working in tech, um, and, and going completely against the grain, going AWOL and sharing things that they have been told not to share, you know, whether we agree with that or not. Um, that sort of started me on a path here, I suppose. That's what what got me interested in uh, encryption, in privacy, in digital security. Uh, that was kind of the the butterfly effect, if you like. Probably watching a watching the news in the evening and seeing these people and thinking. Oh, that's a bit rebellious. I think I'd kind of fancy a bit of that. If we were going to wind the clock back to to baby Mo, um, what I mean, you mentioned Emerson, but what got you interested in? You know, what what you woke up one morning and decided to build standard notes. But I guess, kind of, what was the 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 moment for you where you kind of really fell in love with what you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say first that for, for people like Julian Assange and uh, Edward Snowden, if you think about what it is that made them that way, it's really just courage. And and courage is is, is such a such a simple word, but it's it's probably the most profound concept that comes into play in our lives or, or doesn't come into play sometimes. Um Anytime I've sort of um, held back or, or didn't do the thing that I thought I should do, it was always a lack of courage. And for for these people to have that level of courage where, I mean, that's just an insane level of courage, let's say on Ed Edward Snowden's part, which I, I know a little bit more about him than, than Assange, but he knew he was never going to be allowed in America again. He knew he would be separated from his, is, is it a baby, uh, a child, uh, a girl, I think, his wife, I mean, I would never give that up. Like, I can't think of any, I mean, look, I'm, I'm selfish in that way. I'll say it. Um, I, I, can, I can't think of any information that I could gain that would be of, of significant value to the public that I would give up, that I would trade my family for. So that level of courage is just absolutely insane. And I don't know where it comes from. Um, where does anything come from? Nobody really knows. Um, and so perhaps courage is, uh, is one of those things where, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm reading the Elon Musk biography right now, which is, which I love Walter Isaacson. I've read all his biographies again in my twenties, um, which might be an answer to your question. Um, and he tells great stories, but always the central theme is just courage. Um, the, the courage to go against the grain and the courage to uh, abandon safety 
um, we all yearn for safety and, and, and sometimes when it comes down to do doing the big thing, you, you back down because you lack courage. And, uh, I, I suppose the central question for me most of the time is, well, where do I find this courage from? I, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> sorry to be anticlimactic here, but I, I don't know. Um, you know, where does courage come from? I, I, I guess realizing that you have a bigger calling somewhere else, but, um, yeah, I would say uh, I saw a clip um, where a guy was talking about depression, how he doesn't believe in depression, which, uh, you know, I'll let him have his thoughts. I, I don't necessarily have an opinion here one way or the other, but, you know, his take was you're not depressed, you're discouraged. And um, when you're discouraged, what you need is not medicine, you need courage. Um so it's a nice it's a nice way to think about things. I'm not sure if it addresses every single case of depression or discouragement, but if you do find yourself in a camp where you're sort of discouraged, then yeah, what you need is courage, and that is the hardest thing of all. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, I think to be honest, my my first bit of rebelliousness came. Here's the thing, you grow up in, in a any family today, it's likely you're growing up into some religion. And religion, I don't know, we're not, I don't know we want to go down that rabbit hole right now. But at some point, if you're logical enough, you start asking tough questions about religion, at least as, as I did. And you don't find the answers from your parents because, you know, where did they get their ideas from their parents and their parents and their parents? So just these sort of stories passed down and down and um you can't really apply logic to them because that's not the right uh lens by which to view these sort of stories and so i i think my sort of rebelliousness came in asking these questions and and you find the answers you start finding the answers in emerson and, and, and things like that and i think the for some reason the biographies, Steve Jobs, Benjamin Franklin, Einstein, all by Walter Isaacson, those had a profound effect on me. In terms of the enterprise, uh, the, the working philosophy of how to work and how to think and um, how to design, things like that. Um, but so I think when you when you just ask a lot of questions, as I tend to do, um, I, I'm sort of very inquisitive or I, I was, I, I think I've asked all the questions now and I'm sort of in, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know where I find myself anymore because if you ask all the questions, eventually you just end up at the answer. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll never know. Like, we'll just never know. That's just really, it, it's a really nihilistic and, and, uh, existential place to be, but it's, I don't want to say truth because truth can be subjective, but ultimately I feel like earth is just this closed container. Nothing really known for information doesn't really come from outside of it. So anything that we understand is, is things that we came up with. And so, um, I can't imagine the people before us knew more than we knew today. And so, yeah, we end up in this sort of state where, um, you're able to ask any question you want and you're able to make up your own answers just as well as the people before us made up the answers. And and so you start to be able to break the rules. And um, I, I guess that's what gets you into being a really bad 
um, employee, but a very good entrepreneur is uh, you're willing to break the rules a little bit um, or or bend what you know what is normal and what is not, and, and understand that um, you could do anything. Um, the rules are set in place by other people. The stories by other people. History by other people. Um, so there's this profound sense of freedom that you have to be able just to do anything and you ask yourself, well, what do I want to be doing? And um, that's what got me onto my journey is what do I want to be doing? And, it's, uh, and you know, the question of, of why, why was it always productivity? <laughs> well, because, you know, I wanted to be productive and uh, you, you start using tools uh, to be productive and nothing ever works quite the way you want it to. You're like, well, I'll just build one myself. Um, I feel like every programmer encounters that. And why do some break through and some don't? Um, it's got to just be perseverance, to be honest. Um, which I, I wouldn't necessarily say that's my. I think other people might look at me. My, my wife looks at me and says, "Like you're the most, uh, I don't know, resilient person that I've ever seen." And to me, it's like. No, I, I I don't see myself in that way. To, to me, it's just like, um, it, it's sort of just binary in that if I'm doing something like programming, I feel a one in my brain. And if I'm not, I'm feeling a zero. And uh, I, I I live for those ones. And so the, the sort of biological circuitry here just um, prevents me from doing anything but being productive, unfortunately, for better or for, oh, for worse, typically, except for when we talk about capitalistic and uh, goals. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that... Um, I don't necessarily know that capitalistic goals are the things that ultimately make us content. I mean, I'm not saying anything wise here or new. This is common information, but I think ultimately it comes down to not what you have, but how you spend your time. And that's really important for me to, to think about is that, you know, and I think we talked about this a little bit in one of the last episodes and that it really doesn't matter what's in your, what, what surrounds you in terms of inanimate objects. It, it doesn't matter what's on your desk. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter the car in your garage. These things don't have any practical impact. Um, maybe they do for like five seconds out of the, what is it, 86,000 seconds in a day. Um, what you end up finding is, well, how do you fill those 86,000 seconds, uh, which I, I may be totally making up. Maybe that's how many seconds in an hour. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask ChatGPT after we're done. Um, but it, it, it's how you fill those seconds and minutes and hours, which are really long. Like they, 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 they tend to be way longer than we think, especially when it's empty. How do you fill your time? And for me, filling my time has always been just uh, unfortunate. I keep saying unfortunately because that's that's a conversation for another for another episode. The, the dark sides of relentless productivity um, it, it takes a toll. Um, but yeah, for me, the ones I chase the ones and they come in the form of just staring at the screen and whacking away on the keyboard until you make something happen. Uh, you make some some feature happen. Um, that's that's Nirvana for me. And always has been, and it is for all of us, to be honest, who are in this in this software realm, 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of programmers who all feel the same rush when, when we fix a, not when we fix a bug, when we ship a feature, create a new project, we factor some code base. Um, these are the things that drive us and, and uh, perhaps, I don't know if everyone finds that same level of contentedness um, or, or calling as, as they would call it, I guess. Uh, some people um, don't end up finding that thing that really um, brings them that level of contentedness. Um, I, I don't know what that is. I, I don't know if it's luck. I, I have been drawn to programming at a very young age. Um, probably as, as early as I can remember is like, I don't know how old I was. It's like visual basic. Maybe I was like nine or 10. And then I, when I was 11 or 12, picking up like PHP books, learning how to build forms and websites. I don't know why that interested me. I, I don't know. I, I didn't choose it. I, I didn't, uh, um, I, I think perhaps the reason it interests all of us, uh, programmers is that it, it's, you don't have to go anywhere. You just sit on a desk and make magic happen. That's that's just crazy, um, and that's it's just so much fun. Um, I think probably I would like to think that anyone who really gives it a shot when they're young will just fall in love. It, it, but who knows? I mean, mine's got to be wired a little bit differently. I, I would imagine otherwise everyone would end up being a programmer and no one else would do everything else. So I, I think there's some inherent sort of biological wiring or randomness that allows a, a little tinge of a little twist, a, a, a one that should be a zero somewhere in the, in the code uh, of the DNA that, that changes your whole trajectory from being a coder to being a doctor. Like life is insane, man. I mean, I, I'm getting too, too existential here. Um, but yeah, you know, you're sort of asking, where does it come from? Where does anything come from? Who knows? I, I, I mean, that's, uh, you sort of just live through life. You're just sort of this, like, consciousness is just sort of this process. It's this mechanical process um, to, the, to the best of our knowledge. And um, it, it yields some interesting results when applied to various environments. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I, I guess, yeah, all that to say is um, it just, just take it day by day and, and see where you end up. And this is where I've ended up. This is where you've ended up. I, I honestly don't think, like, when, I, when, when we think of, like, ultra-successful people or, or just people when you compare yourself to people more successful than you, there's always a ladder. And I don't think this is cope. Uh, to me, it, it's it's a really just a trying to understand our my place, our place, our relative place. I don't necessarily think anyone has it any better than anyone else, and and that's tough to say because you're like, well, what about really really unfortunate people? And and it's like, yeah, okay, I understand. So I'm I'm not saying some global maxim here, but in terms of trying to understand, like. Do, am I inferior? Do I have to be better? Am I, do I suck? Like, you know, you just ask yourself, like, why is this person doing so much better than me? Um, for example, and, and, and ultimately I don't think anyone has a leg up some, yeah. Look, when it comes down to things like you can measure like balance in a bank account or the value of a house or a car, these are very easy things to measure, but like really have no practical impact on your day to day. Um, and so you ask yourself, what's the best way to compare yourself to other people? 
I honestly think it's, well, so how, how are we spending our time? Because that is the bulk of life is, is just how you spend that time. And that's tough to compare. And I, I, I would bet you that take, take the one person that you're probably thinking about that's like super successful, that maybe like a close friend or, or a distant friend or something like that was not like an, a celebrity, internet celebrity, but just take someone who's successful and you're like, well, I, I envy that a little bit. Um, and you just ask yourself, well, how are they feeling 24 hours a day? <laughs> you start to imagine, okay, well, they're probably waking up with like a, a rowdy stomach and, and they're probably pooping four times a day and, and they're fighting with their wife and, and their children may be sick. And it's all the same stuff. Like no matter where you are, it's all the same stuff. We're all going through the same stuff. Um, so no one has, which... Uh, this is a tech podcast. I, I don't know how we, we got down this road, but I kind of like it in terms of just having these sort of free-spirited conversations. Um, one thing I really like is, is Naval, um, who said, you know, w- when you find yourself being envious of someone, don't just pick and choose what you're envious of. It's like, well, if you're envious of someone because of their they got a bigger house than you, you can't just pick that house. You got to take the whole thing. It's like, okay, well, that person probably has... I don't wish this on them. Maybe they have a disease. Maybe they're not able to have kids. Maybe they're, I'm naming calamities here, which which I shouldn't be, but it's like, you got to take the whole package and no one will take the whole package. No one, you'll never say that I'll take someone's entire life. I want that for myself. It's like, oh, you see the dark side of it. You can't just pick it. Like when I look at Elon Musk, I'm like, man, I want like, I want to be as courageous as him. But then you you read about the dark side of that. It's like, okay, well, I don't want that part. I, I just want the little courage here and the recklessness here. I apply that to business a little bit, get a little boost in our numbers. <laughs> then you'd have to have like an abusive father and and and, and then this whole package. I don't want. So you can, you can't pick and choose. You you end up just saying, okay, I'll stick with my life. And so anyway, yeah. Sorry, folks. Sorry, people listening. You, you didn't come here for this, and it, but. Um, I think to me, these are the things that I think about honestly on a day-to-day basis. And uh, maybe that sheds a little bit of light into who we are a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think it's great. Maybe we should start a, maybe we should start a book club. We've got Yuval Noah Harari, Walter Isaacson. We've got some Emerson in there. If I can add one, you were right, by the way, 86,400 seconds uh, in a day. Um, if I can add one in there, Oliver Berkman. Oliver Berkman uh, wrote a book called Four Thousand Weeks. Um, it's all about productivity because four thousand weeks, if you're lucky, is the average span of a human life. Wow, um, that's that's depressing to hear. <laughs> so count them. <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't read that one. I'll, I'll have to check that out. It's very very good. Yeah, it's all about. Um, you know, I guess kind of follow your passion, I suppose, yeah. and spend spend those weeks wisely. Um, if we can bring it back to, to WikiLeaks just for our final question, and I guess, uh, you know, WikiLeaks being a, a media publication, a news publication, um, how can standard notes help journalists um what's what makes standard notes so unique how can it help journalists and protect sources and uh you know help people stay secure 
I mean, fundamentally, if you want to stay secure on the internet, you need encryption. There's no way around that. You, you need to protect your information. You need to, the same way when you're writing, a, when Emerson is writing and he needs to be careful he's not arrested or exiled, he doesn't use encryption, but he ciphers his writing a little bit. Uh, for you, um, you can't cipher your writing because they'll just put in chat GPT and it'll decode everything you're trying to say. So you have to use encryption to transform your thoughts into something that is indecipherable by the, I don't care what NVIDIA develops next. I don't care how strong their GPU card is. Nothing, uh, not even millions of years will be able to take your thoughts and expose them. And so just having that peace of mind allows you to do more courageous work. That's courage right there is that you're, you're able to, deal with more courageous sources. Um, you're able to protect those sources. You're able to put them somewhere, put the, that information somewhere, which you would otherwise just tremble and fear thinking of putting it anywhere else. If you have those level of thoughts, if you're doing that level of work, you need encryption. I don't care where you get it. If you get it in standard notes, great. But if not, find, make sure you're using encryption, even if it's offline, even if you're putting it on a thumb drive, I mean, every spy movie we see is like the thumb drive being stolen. If all they did was had a password on it, uh, wars would have been prevented in, in those movies. But um, you need encryption. And it, it's not hard to find necessarily today encryption. You, you just you have to be a little... Well, I was going to say you have to be a little savvy. But, but truthfully, if that's the case, and I haven't done my job because my job is to make a product where you don't have to be savvy. It's it's easier than Evernote to use. It's easier than Simple Note. Like it, it, that's the goal. I think we've accomplished that goal, in my opinion. Um, to, to make encryption that approachable, that default. Um, this is something that that I think we do. We make it a point to do better than anyone else. I think. Um, so. If you are a journalist, if you're anyone who, who who requires courage to store information, that's a sign right there that you need to be protecting your information with encryption. And of course, end-to-end -end encryption, if you are syncing your data, if you need your data to be available across devices, you need end-to-end -end encryption. Um, again, we talked about this previously, but be careful with when you read the word encryption, that's not enough. Encryption is just, is by default, almost every company should be offering like encryption in transmission, encryption at rest. So very basic things that every company almost does. Uh, that still allows the company's employees, governments, um, anyone really uh, who, who has access to the server to read your information. That's no good at all if, if you're dealing with um, critical information. End-to-end -end encryption, of course, encrypts your data first on the device if it's an iPhone, every keystroke you type is encrypted offline on your phone with a key that's only on your phone and only you know, and then it is synced to the cloud safely, securely. Um, that's what end-to-end -end encryption is, and that's what you need. And, and when it comes to a note-taking app with end-to-end -end encryption, um, you, you'll find that standard notes is, is, is the... Well, uh, I'd also say one of the, I mean, I don't know if I want to say one of the best or the best. I, I don't want to be sort of uh Fuel the fire, say the best. You know what I should, <laughs> the best. You'll find it, It's you'll just end up finding the center notes is the best option um, for, for, for that. Um, and you will, and look, we have offline options too. You don't, if, you, if you're not comfortable sending it to the cloud, you should be. I mean, I, I trust in the mathematics. I trust in our code, which is open. I, it's audited. 
these are things that I have trust in. Um, but it's sort of like a mathematical trust. It's not like a trust where it's like human to human trust. It's a little different because um, that's that's a bet you're making on another person. Here, you're you're making a bet on code that's open that's been audited. Um, but if that's still not enough for you, you could use it totally offline. You don't have to connect to the internet, um, and you can uh, even encrypt it on your device uh, with the key. So even if if you're using standards offline, on, let's say it's an iPhone and the iPhone gets stolen. And um, somehow it's stolen by like a savvy uh, a actor and, and they're somehow able to open the device up, open your iPhone up, take the hard drive, read it. It's encrypted. They're not going to be able to see what's on there. Um, so that is the importance of end-to-end -end encryption and encryption. And um, it's, it's invaluable. It's, it's vital for uh, journalists. And there you have it. Thank you very much for spending some of your 86,400 seconds today with us. Standard Notes is the end-to-end -end encrypted note-taking app that keeps your stuff safe. Standardnotes.com is the place to try it. I've been Adam, he's been Mo, and until next time, think fearlessly. Bye.